the Sunday Sermons Podcast. We're going to just jump right off the deep end this morning and just get really real with each other. I'm going to do a quick survey. All you have to do is just raise your hand or you can give us a thumbs up or thumbs down emoji at home or something like that. I just want us to see visually that we really are on the same page about what we're talking about, whether you realize it or not. Raise your hand if there are some things that you like that Jesus said. You'd wear it on a t-shirt, you'd put it on a mug. Even if it wasn't Jesus that said it, you just think it's a great thing. It's awesome. You like some of the things Jesus said. Oh, yeah, look at that. That's a bunch of us. How about this, though? Uh, raise your hand if there are a few things Jesus said you kind of wish he hadn't said. Or maybe you just don't understand them and you're not sure if you like them or not. That's almost all of us, right? Okay? And we trust him because he's Jesus, but I'm not sure what that one's about. I don't really want to wear it on a shirt all day. I don't want anybody to ask me about it, right? How about this? How, how many here believe in prayer? You believe that it's worth praying. You believe it's a good thing. You've seen God answer some prayers. You, you, you keep praying. You think it's the right thing to do. You believe in it. How many here? Good, good. How many here have had a prayer not answered the way you wanted to, and when you look at some of the things Jesus said, you're like, huh? Yeah, that's all of us. And that's the stuff we're talking about today because Jesus said some pretty strange things. He said some things that didn't really make sense. And he said a lot of things about prayer that really do line up to reality, but not necessarily how we perceive reality sometimes, what it looks like, what it feels like in the moment. Is this making sense so far? And that's what we're going to explore today. The truth is Jesus said a lot of really strange things. Uh, even the ones that we like, that we wear on t-shirts, kind of sound strange, especially if they weren't true. I think the most famous version of that truth is from C.S. Lewis. He used three L's. He said Jesus was either a liar or a lunatic or the Lord. Have you ever heard that one before? In other words, if, he, if the things he said, like, I am the only way to God, nobody can come to God except through me, or I am God. If anybody but Jesus would have said that, it would not be true, so he's a liar, right? Or what if he knew, what, what if it wasn't true, but he really believed in himself? Well, then he's a lunatic, right? But what if it's true? And of course, I believe that most of us, at least in this room and whoever's joining online, we do believe it's true, but it's still some pretty audacious stuff. This was how Jesus talked quite often. But here's the bottom line, and this is what I'm asking you to try and do this morning. I don't know where you are in your faith journey, but I'm asking you to kind of look at some of these things through a very specific lens. And I think they at least start to make sense. We at least can interact with these things, Jesus said, if we look at them through this lens. I'm not here this morning to explain every detail of everything or explain away any misgivings or anything you've got. That's not my place, and I don't have authority to do that. But I really believe that if we look through the two lenses we're going to talk today, all the rest of this stuff can, can make sense and we can at least follow Jesus in those. Okay, so here's, here's the first thing. Jesus constantly asks us to make what Carrie Newoff calls a categorical decision. If you've never heard that term, it's simple. It just means this. A categorical decision, a categorical decision is making one decision that eliminates dozens or even hundreds of other decisions. You've all made those all the time, uh, especially if you made a huge choice like got married. The second 
you said I do, you said I don't to anybody else who might have ever been interested in you or you might have been interested in, right? Does this make sense? It's not that you don't like them or there's something wrong with them, but you said I do to this person. All those other decisions just got made. And this is exactly what Jesus expects from every one of us, is to make a categorical decision to follow him unconditionally, completely, totally. And as the king, he demands it. He demands complete allegiance. And some of these really crazy, outlandish, arrogant-sounding things that he said all make sense if you look at it through that lens. Let's explore that a little bit this morning. Here's from Luke. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, now pay attention, I might get this wrong. Jesus replied, yay, that's awesome. Thank you, follow me. I want everybody to follow me. That's kind of the thing I would expect, but here's what it actually says. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. It's like, you, you know if you follow me, you're going to be homeless, right? That's not something you'd normally say to somebody who wants to follow you, but it's what Jesus said. Let's keep going. He says, to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Again, kind of strange, but can you see how it fits in this thing? No, I demand unconditional total allegiance. The third one makes even more sense in that direction. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. And again, it almost like he doesn't want people to follow him, right? Of course he wants us to follow him. And of course he knows that we're vulnerable and we're weak. And sometimes we might look back. And, and of course he's not going to... We love to say all those of courses, right? Because we, we want to put Jesus on a t-shirt. Like a bunch of people are wearing Andrew on a t-shirt today, right? And way to go, Andrew. You deserve it. But, but seriously... We want to just make everybody just go, oh, Jesus is so great. And some of these are disturbing, but, but it comes down to this. If you'd say this out loud with me, I'd, I'd appreciate it. I want this to stick. It's going to be up on the screen here in just a second. King Jesus demands total allegiance. One more time. King Jesus demands total allegiance. And the real problem with most of these things that he says that we feel like we have to kind of apologize for or kind of clean up or dull the edges of, it's really about us and our commitment issues, isn't it? We struggle to commit to anyone or anything unconditionally and completely. And that's exactly what Jesus demands of us. Whether we get it all or not, whether we understand it all or not, even in the moment if we agree with it or not, he says, follow me. That means follow me, period. Let's look at a couple more scriptures. It says, if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. 
And we always want to rush in and go, no, he doesn't really, Jesus isn't recommending self-mutilation here. He doesn't really want you to cut off your hand. And, and sometimes I think we miss the point. He's saying, do whatever it takes to follow me. And people say, oh, well, if you have a problem with lust, cutting out your eye won't, won't even help. Jesus must know that. Of course he knows that. But that's not the point he's making. He's saying if that's what it takes, gouge your eye out. I demand total allegiance. Is this making sense? And again, it's not going to explain away all the particulars of every one of these. But as we look through that lens at these crazy sounding things Jesus said, it, it, they really do in one way or another kind of fall under this umbrella. Let's keep going. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. What? Isn't Jesus about peace? Of course he is. But not the kind of peace we talk about, not the kind of peace he's talking about right here. We tend to think of peace in the context of let's just stop fighting. Let's just pretend that everybody's right. Which can't really ever be true, right? If we totally disagree with each other, we can't possibly both be right. And what if there's 15 different answers? That can't happen. Well, let's just pretend that nobody's wrong and everything's right. Let's all just get along. You know, that only works so far. Jesus said, that is not what I'm about. In a second, we're going to look at what he said about peace. But what Jesus is saying is, you're going to find unity. You're going to find love. You're going to eventually have the potential to change the whole world. But under my authority, under me as the king, you're going to find that authority in me. And your shared purpose under me in my new kingdom. I'm not here to just help everybody be polite and get along. For I have come to turn a man against his father. Notice the quotations here. He's quoting from Micah chapter 7, which was a passage about the Messiah and what the Messiah would do. He says, I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. And we love to rush in. Oh, Jesus doesn't really want you to be enemies. I know he said that, but he doesn't really want you to be enemies. Yeah, I know. But he's saying, if that's what it takes, you choose me. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me, Jesus continues, Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Here's another part. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate their father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life. Such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Brothers and sisters, we, we have a cross hanging right here. We think of a cross for centuries and centuries now. We think of cross, we think of Jesus, right? That was not that way until a couple centuries after Jesus 
died and came back to life. Even the earliest Christians, they didn't use the cross. They didn't wear it on jewelry and stuff. It was a horrific thing. They couldn't hardly believe for a long time that Jesus had endured that for them. It wasn't something you wanted on a t-shirt. It wasn't something you wanted on a mug. And before Jesus had died on a cross himself, I'm telling you right now, this was really shocking. I can't even think of something that would be that shocking for us to say. For Jesus to say, unless you do this, you can't follow me. Picking up your cross and heading toward, heading toward to be crucified was like the lowest thing that can happen to a person in that culture. And he says, if you're not willing to do that every day, you can't follow me. But are you starting to see a trend here? You're going to follow me no matter what, or you're not going to follow me at all. In John 6, a bunch of people were following Jesus. And then right when he had them right in the palm of his hand, he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. For my flesh is real food. My blood is real drink. And a bunch of people, thousands of people go, whoa, I'm out. This was really cool when he was handing out free food. This was really cool when he was saying, like, love your enemies. I was okay with that, sort of. But what in the world? Cannibalism? I'm out. And, of course, a few people stayed. They were like, there's no possible way that he means literal cannibalism. He's got to mean something else besides that. It's got to be something more. You know why? Because they had made a categorical decision to follow Jesus no matter what. To trust him even when it sounded weird. To trust him even when it scared them. To trust him regardless. And so they stayed around. And they were the ones who eventually figured out, oh my goodness. He's talking about sacrificing his body and shedding his blood to save us. He's talking about the symbolic way that we take his, breath, his body and his blood into us. In, in, in the communion and also just that he is the life force that fuels us, his body. He is the blood that pumps through us. He gives us power now. Oh, that's actually beautiful. The only people who ever figured that out are the people who had already made a categorical decision to stick with Jesus regardless. Everybody else was like, oh, I'm out. Jesus said, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Sometimes this is told as a story. It's more of a rhetorical question, the way he presented it. But here's the basic idea. He says, wouldn't you, if you're going to build a tower, aren't you going to make some plans? Aren't you going to budget? Aren't you going to figure out, that, see if you can actually do this or not? He says, or suppose a king was about to go to war. He said, isn't he going to get around all of his counselors? Is he going to count his troops, count his weapons, count his money? Is he going to see maybe he should surrender instead of attack? You know, not everybody is the 300 Spartans. You know what I'm saying? Like, maybe, maybe it's a different plan than what he'd like to do. And Jesus says, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. And we love to go, oh, yeah, but he doesn't mean everything you have. And obviously, and, 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 and don't forget, and in this other part, you know he said, you know he said, but listen, brothers and sisters, this is the point that helps us understand. I, I didn't even touch all of the crazy ones, but I think you can get the point. What Jesus demands of us is a categorical decision to follow him no matter what. And every one of these really crazy sounding things is just one more way to say that. 
Does that make sense? We can work out all the details later. We, 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 can, we can explain, well, what, did, what about this thing? Why did he choose that word? You can do that the rest of your life. But this is the lens we need to look through. And if we miss that, we, we really miss the whole thing. Second thing, I, I think that most of the biggest questions that a lot of Christians I know, and me myself, really struggle with are the things Jesus said about prayer. Because we don't really disbelieve them, but it doesn't always match up exactly to what we expect from just reading these verses. So let's explore that. Jesus came into a world where God had already established a few things. God had already said to the people in the Old Testament that there were times where they're running from him. They're deliberately sinning. They're deliberately, he says, if you do this, I will bless you. And they go, well, I'm not doing that, but I still want you to bless me. And he'd say things like this, Isaiah 1:15. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Or even to his people sometimes, he'd say this, like to Jeremiah the prophet. Do not pray for this people or offer any plea or petition for them because I will not listen when they call to me in the time of their distress. We don't want to hear that, do we? We don't want to tell people who aren't following God at this moment. We don't want to tell them about that. We don't want, we don't want that verse on a mug. We don't want to wear that on a t-shirt or on a hat. We don't want that on a poster on our wall. God's not going to listen to you unless you straighten up. But that's, that's one of the options. And I'd like you to consider that. Honestly, humbly, this is the first thing that I always ask. If God's not answering my prayers the way I expect him to, that's the first thing that I consider. Am I actually walking in his way? Am I actually, is there something in me that I'm not surrendering to him? Is there some reason why he would not be listening to me? Now, I'm not blaming any unanswered prayer on you're a sinner. Don't mishear me on that. But it's a really good question to ask. And if you're living in a state of unrepentance, you're saying, I know God says no about this, but I'm going to keep doing it every day because I like it and it works for me. I know God says to do this, but I'm not going to do it because I don't want to. That kind of takes us out of the loop of all those promises about whatever you ask in my name. Yeah, later, Jesus himself and some of his followers said things. For example, James 4, 3. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. If you missed last week, I hope you go back and listen to that online somehow. But the idea of prayer throughout the scripture very simply is this. The core idea is not about trying to get God to do stuff for us but about syncing ourselves with him, with his will and with his power. And that's where any conversation about prayer from a biblical perspective has to start. And again, that's how this works. But listen what happens when it is within his will. James, again, same guy that said the other thing. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, in other words, if any of you needs God's perspective on things, if any of you really wants to know how life is actually designed to work, how our bodies and our minds and our hearts and our souls were created, what we were really designed to 
be like before we got all broken and twisted. What the image of God is supposed to look like in us before we get it all spoiled and messed up by sin. If you really want that, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. In other words, when we come to God with repentance, when we come to God with surrender, he doesn't matter how dirty we are at that moment anymore. It's just when we're running hard from him and just expecting him to bless us anyway that he doesn't listen. Is this making sense so far? We haven't even got to the Jesus stuff yet, but now we are, here we are. Here's some stuff Jesus said about prayer. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. They will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. This is one of those moments, right? Wait a second. I said, Jesus, I want $50, please. In Jesus' name, amen. I didn't get $50. I don't know if that verse is true. That's not how it works, okay? Jesus is not a genie in the lamp. He is the king, and he demands total allegiance whether we get it or not. We're on his timetable, not ours. And this concept of in my name, it means under his authority. It means it's stuff that we're doing as representatives of him. If I send one of you to go get something for the church at Costco or something, Dick Dolan does that all the time. You're doing that in the name of the church, not even in the name of me. You're doing that for Morrison Hill Christian Church. Does this make sense? What you're doing represents him. And Jesus said, anything that you're asking me that's within my authority, absolutely, you're going to get it. If it's lining up to what I want. See, here's something we don't understand about Jesus, or maybe we all do, but we forget it when we want him to answer our prayers the way we want him to answer it. When we want him to answer it right now, it's easy to forget. But listen, this is, this is so important. Jesus is not limited in his power. That's cool. God is not limited. He has unlimited power. He can do anything. But there are things he cannot do. Here's why. They conflict with his character. They conflict with his wisdom. They conflict with his plans. They conflict with things that he knows that we don't know. They conflict with a lot of other things that we just don't have access to. And anybody who's ever led anybody in any capacity at all, if you've babysat somebody, if you've got kids, if you're any kind of a manager or boss at work, you know what this is like. You know that there's people that work for you or trust you or love you or that, that little cute little kid you're babysitting or whatever else, and you want to give them what they ask for, but sometimes you say no, Right? It's not because you don't love them. It's because you do. No, three-year-old, you can't drive my car. Right? It, no, you can't. And, 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 and the three-year-old's like, you don't love me. You said, ask me anything. And I meant that. I'd do anything for you. I'd give my life for you. I love you. You just got to know, kid, I love you more than life itself. I'll do anything for you. Fine, I want to drive your car. No, you don't love me then. Does this sound familiar? We've all been on both sides of this. But this is how Jesus is too. All of this I've spoken, he says, all of this I've spoken while still with you. But the advocate, 
The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I said to you. Now he starts talking about his peace, how it's different. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. He said some of the things that we take just about prayer and get confused in other contexts. For example, in Matthew 18, he's actually talking about Christians who have had a problem. They've had a conflict and how to resolve that. And it's very clear. Matthew 18. Everybody say Matthew 18. If you haven't read that recently and you got an issue with somebody, you got to go read Matthew 18. Jesus is saying. But in that context, he says this. Again, I truly, I tell you that if two or of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. I think it probably means basically what it says, but it also, I think it's always important to notice the context. He's talking about us getting back together. Everybody getting back under the umbrella of his authority. Everybody regrouping and getting unity again. Everybody getting back together. That's the primary, original context of that beautiful verse, beautiful promise. Mark 11, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer. This time he doesn't say, in my name. But I I think if we squint just a little bit, you can still see the concept. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Can you see it? There's still that element of, yeah, anything, seriously. But don't forget, it's still under the umbrella of he is the king and he knows best. John, uh, I'm sorry, Luke 18. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. I love it when they actually give us the gospel writers, or sometimes even Jesus himself says, here's the moral of the story. I'll just tell you right now. This is what this means. It only happens a few of the parables that he said, but it happens. This is one of those. So we know the moral of the story is we should always pray and not give up. But let's go through the story and notice a couple more things together. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Let's not make the very common mistake of all the people in authority in every story Jesus told represent God and everybody else represents us. This guy doesn't represent God. This is an unjust judge who doesn't fear God or what people think. This is a bad guy. He doesn't represent God. That's not, Jesus is not saying this is how God is. This is what God does when we pray. That's not what he's saying. But he goes through this story and this lady just badgers him to death. And then finally he says, okay, and gives her what she wants. And the Lord said, Jesus said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they will get justice. And quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Tell another story about a a selfish friend who wouldn't even come downstairs when his friend comes and asks for help in the middle of the night. 
He's not saying that God is selfish. He's not saying that God is reluctant. He's saying that if, if somebody who's selfish and a jerk to their friends will actually answer a plea based on just their shameless audacity of asking and asking and asking until they get it, don't you think God will probably give you what you asked for? And so Jesus said, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. The ones who ask are the ones who get something. The ones who seek are the ones who find. The ones who knock get doors opened. Stay at it. If you think, even if you know that even corrupt people, mean people, terrible people that don't care about you can be badgered into doing something good for you, don't you think your father who loves you and always knows best, don't you think he's going to answer some of your prayers? Of course he will. That's what Jesus was trying to say. I hope this is all making sense. These are still hard. I'm not trying to explain all this away. I'm not trying to answer every question. Every time God still to this day doesn't answer something in my timeline, I have to come back to these and say, you know what, I'm going to trust you anyway. But you did say whatever. I'm not the only person, right? I've also recently, the last couple, not intentionally, but I realize I've been picking on country music. I keep talking about the bad theology. Sometimes they get it right. So just to be fair, does anybody remember the old Garth Brooks song called Unanswered Prayer? That actually gets it right. He says, just because he doesn't answer don't mean he don't care. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. (laughs) That's actually real, right? That's true. That's good theology right there. Sorry, I wasn't too good of a Garth, but you can't sing it in my voice and make it sound the same. When I was growing up, one of the biggest um, authorities, or not authority, but celebrity, I don't know what the word is, but somebody that everybody knew about if you were a Christian was Johnny Erickson Tata. She's still around and doing great things for God, but she was inescapable when I was growing up. And her example is incredible. She is paraplegic. She broke her neck when she was uh, an older teenager, not quite an adult. And her two books, I think she's probably written even more by then, but I had two of them growing up. Um, she, she details how she prayed, believing, and had people who had experienced and performed miracles before come and pray for her. And she really thought God was going to heal her. And he didn't. But she looked back later in life, having become an artist, a singer, a speaker, starting several different ministries, having a huge impact on the Lord. And she said, you know what? Looking back, the best day of my life was the day I broke my neck. Everything that matters to me, everything that has been a good thing in my life, a truly good thing in my life would not have happened if God would have just miraculously healed me. I just would have been somebody's little proof text and that's it. But none of the other things he's used me for would have happened. None of the comfort I've been able to offer would have happened. Every once in a while, God says no to something. I still don't get it, but the promise is, you know this promise, Romans 8, 28. God promises to work in all things for our good. Not that he causes every single one of those things. Not that that's his plan A in every situation. But no matter what, he's going to bring good out of it. 
And sometimes he does it in ways that we just don't understand. Sometimes he does it. I'm just telling you the truth. I'm not telling you exactly what Jesus just said here. I'm just telling you this is what we experience, right? Sometimes our loving, compassionate, all-powerful father doesn't say yes the way we want him to in the moment like we need him to. And we've got to trust him because what it comes down to is a categorical decision that he's the king. 1 John 5, 14 to 15 says, This is the confidence that we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked him. I think that kind of sums up how I understand this, and I, I hope how you understand this. I think the best example of all of this is one that we actually used last week, but it's always worth using again. It's Jesus going and praying in the garden. Remember that? He starts out, please, if there's any other way, let's change the plan. And over the course of the evening, it comes to, hey, here we go. It's time. God said no to his own son. His own son who'd helped make the plan in the first place. But the human part of him, the painful part of him, the part of him that was cut off from the the big, distant, just almighty heaven part of him in that moment was struggling. And God said no because he knew what was best. None of us would be here if he wouldn't have said no then. But Jesus got strength from that. Jesus took strength from the no Because he trusted his father. And Jesus had made a categorical decision to do what needed to be done. Paul says it like this. As soon as I say this, if it's okay, the band can actually come up. But Paul says it to us like this. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Who being in his very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing and took on the form of a servant and became obedient even unto death, even death on a cross. And therefore God has exalted him and given him a name that is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's how we've got to live too. That categorical decision to do what he calls us to do in his name. And this morning, this is what I'm asking you to do. One of two things, hopefully both. Would you, before we start seeing, would you pray? Would you go in and stand right now? Would you just take a second to pray before we start singing? and Just connect, reconnect with God. Just open up that connection because here's what I believe is going to happen. I believe God's going to call you to make some sort of a categorical decision. And it may need to be public. And if it does, please make it public. Be courageous. Make it public today. There's going to be me at the back, my dad up here at the front. You can talk to either one of us and make that happen. No matter what, pray. Make the choice he's asking you to make. Then we're going to stand and sing.